Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello again. Hello and welcome to No Confidence. I'm your host, David Merlin. Nothing you'll hear me say is intended as legal advice. Anything that sounds like that to you, just consider it something somebody else might do on a planet far, far away where the law matters. It doesn't matter here. I prove it on a daily basis. Believe it. Today is August 20th, 2016. Fantastic weather here in Seattle. The uh, focus today is on my drive-by litigation seminar that you can obtain on the uh, through the products page at wevgov.com wevgov.com and uh, it's about going on the offense in fine form there's no reason why anybody should have to play defense against the government well there is a reason but it's not an excuse the reason is you're stuck in the patriot movement and if all you do is play defense Meaning, if all, if all you do is the Patriot movement, you don't have an offense yet. And until you understand the law, uh, you don't have grounds for an offense. So, uh, you either learn code pleading, or you'll be playing defense forever. I'm a code pleader for starters. It's what I do. It's all I do. All I do is code pleading. Because I found... All my common law rights were codified a long time ago. And I found the most intrusive things government tends to do is usually when they're misenforcing a statute, like the motor vehicle code, the tax code, the state income tax statutes. Those are the big three. Inside the tax code you have chapter one. That's misenforced. Uh, citizens of the United States, which they say all of us are, all we Americans are, they're only mentioned in regulation. They wrote a regulation to make Americans subject to the tax code. Regulation 1.1-1. You'll see all this on the federal income tax page of wevgov.com. Social Security, chapters 2, 21, and 23 of the tax code obviously have never been written to apply to citizens of the United States. Federal Income Taxation page of wevgov.com covers this first. It looks at the tax code, this page does, and it says, well, first things first, let's narrow it down to just Chapter 1 by proving Chapters 2, 21, and 23 don't apply to citizens of the United States. That leaves us with just chapter 1. And in chapter 1, no citizen is named by Congress. The 16th Amendment says Congress can lay and collect this tax. It has to be a statute. Congress didn't write a statute saying that's the citizen. And so the Treasury wrote 26 CFR 1.1-1. 1. 1 
that says citizens of the United States owe this tax wherever they live. And that's how they brought the tax code into the 50 states and they lost everybody in the complexities of the Social Security Act and its subsequent amendments since 1935 and uh, conned everybody into thinking Social Security was the law of the land. So they can double tax you. Single chapter theft wasn't enough. They want to steal from you. I use the word tax. I apologize. They want to steal from you under multiple chapters. Chapter 23, the Social Security excise tax on employers or matching FICA. They have to pay as much in FICA as you have to pay. Chapter 21, FICA, Employee Social Security, Federal Insurance Contributions Act. Chapter 2, Self-Employed Social Security. Those three chapters have never applied to Americans. Even if Americans are citizens of the United States, Social Security is not triggered by your citizenship. It's triggered by the IRS that wants to steal from you. Period. This leaves just Chapter 1. They wrote a regulation that says you owe the tax, and the complexities of the tax code are enough to intimidate or altogether block, due to lack of intellect or due diligence, the energy or motivation, ambition, of those who say, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to tax law. I'm in the anti-tax movement. I'm in the patriot movement. I'm a guru. I'm a self-taught aficionado. And they missed the point. They missed it, and it's all right there on wevgov.com. What I'm doing is identifying a mode of extortion and racketeering. That's how they did it with the tax code. Go to the state income tax page of wevgov.com and you see that if they're stealing under the federal tax code and it's been adopted as state law, the state is stealing too. So there's state income tax. And I haven't gotten the opportunity to research all of the something like 42 states that impose an income tax but when somebody comes along from a particular state and wants me to do this work I'll go and research their state law and put my findings on that state income tax page so there's state income tax federal income tax chapter 1 and social security I've just placed them all in the category of extortion and racketeering. You can't do that without code pleading. That means you can't do it from any of the viewpoints of the anti-tax movement. And then the Motor Vehicle Code. If you go to the Motor Vehicle Code page of wevgov.com, you'll see that in the law everywhere from coast to coast, there's this right of public vehicular travel. It's in the law everywhere from coast to coast. Just amazing. In October 2005, uh, I was taking a break from, uh, I had just completed most of the uh, briefing and criminal complaint that went to Congress December 28th of 05, call it New Year's of 06, and um, I was taking a break and I said, now this motor vehicle brief in traffic case after traffic case, the courts run from it. What's in there that intimidates them so badly? And I read through that 
uh, 17-page memorandum about 10 times. And each one of those times, one thing stood out to me the most, by far the most. And it was a phrase from a 1961 law here in Washington State that said, Highway is any way, lane, street, road, boulevard, or other surface open as a matter of right to public vehicular travel. And so I took that phrase and I typed it into Google. I got 464,000 hits. And I said, this is amazing. It's in the law everywhere. The highways are open as a matter of right to public vehicular travel. And so I rebriefed the topic, adding like 16 pages to my memorandum with quotes from across the country, both municipal and state legislation, that had this expression in the definition of highway or in statutes prohibiting, or municipal code prohibiting loitering or cruising. And uh, in state statutes that allow a city to contract with a private uh, civil engineering firm that uh, might come in and repair the roads or build a bridge, whatever. And everywhere they defined the term highway in all these different places where they, they wanted to identify the, the place to which the legislation or ordinance would apply, they said open as a matter of right to public vehicular travel. And so I claim this right. If anybody has that right, it's an American. And I say that the highway is open as a matter of right to public vehicular travel. And on the public, on the uh, motor vehicle code page of, we, I, I just clicked on Google on that page pertaining to motor vehicle code. Near the top of the page, you'll see search engines. I got 3.63 million hits on that phrase. It's everywhere. And look what page comes up first in my search. WeVGov.com. All right. I'm first on the list. So, um, I claim that right. I've briefed it. It was served on the uh, Homeland Security Committee in Congress because the former sheriff here in King County, Washington, David Reichert, was a rookie member on that committee and he was committing racketeering and extortion in the name of the Motor Vehicle Code right here in Seattle, Washington, King County. And it was also served on the Department of Justice. David Reichert was named as a defendant in the complaint. Kurt Riggin and I were co-complainants on the complaint. March 9th of 06. Never a response. They will not get into the topic. And so my course on going to traffic court is a course on how to join that criminal complaint and file your affidavit of joinder and the criminal complaint into your traffic case as evidence and a motion to dismiss um, with a uh, cover letter or a motion, a demand that the officer be present at the hearing because you want to get him on the stand and quiz him about public vehicular travel and ask him who has that right. If I don't have that right, who does, officer? Because you're enforcing a state privilege code against me. Only people that want to exercise the privilege of operating a motor vehicle are subject to that traffic code and you're enforcing it against me when I wasn't engaged in a privilege. 
The highways are open as a matter of right to me. So there's the big three. Federal tax code, state tax code, and motor vehicle code. I just placed all of them in the category of extortion and racketeering. By code pleading. You take your motor vehicle code and you go back to the original motor vehicle code for your state. 1905, 1910, whatever it was. And you're going to find a restricted uh, scope. The definitions of highway and public, uh, public highway and motor vehicle are going to be very restricted, constrained, focused at strictly those people using the highways, the roadways as a place of business. And I would bet that you'll, you won't be able to find a place where the legislature expressed an intent to broaden the scope of the motor vehicle code. So, through code pleading, I just proved that those are racketeering and extortion. Having proved that, isn't it true that I now have a, a great reason and a statutory basis to go on the offense? The government's stealing from me. Well, that equals lawsuit. That equals criminal complaint. And those are offensive tools. Uh, the most off offensively impressive lawsuit I've ever seen. Uh, this is an example of a lawsuit in civil litigation. The most impressive gesture I've ever witnessed. 2002, maybe, 2003, uh, here in Washington State, the city of Kirkland and its pissy little uh, police department made a former Navy SEAL angry. His name was William Sheehan. And he started scouring the public record for references to police officers' uh, home address their rate of pay, their social security numbers, uh, their docket numbers from divorce court, tax court, bankruptcy court, civil court, criminal court, state and fed, uh, home and work email address, home and work phone number, uh, home and work physical address, mailing address, and he put it all on the web. And this included drug task force, lieutenants, detectives, prosecutors, judges, police officers, uh, county and state corrections officers. And in the case of Kirkland police officers, he also found on the public record their social security numbers. And he included that in his database that was called justicefiles.org. And the uh, Kirkland city of Kirkland teamed up with a county prosecutor, now deceased, Norm Mailing, and they went to uh, Superior Court to sue for an injunction. you got to take all that stuff down. And he argued, hey, this is free speech. It's right off the public record. And Judge Alsdorf in King County Superior Court said, this is terrible. Those Social Security numbers have to go, but the rest is free speech. And so the county prosecutor, Norm Mailing, now deceased, went to the state attorney general, Christine Gregoire, who later became the governor, 
and they went to the state legislature together and they got a, uh, I think it was a misdemeanor statute, making it a misdemeanor to publish that information in correlation with the fact that the person is a public servant. And the law that was passed had a clause in it that says if a public servant is damaged because of this publishing, they can sue the person that published it. And they got that signed and enacted into law by the legislature. And before the ink was dry, before the ink was dry on that law, a brilliant attorney in Seattle took on this client, William Sheehan, and this lawyer uh, wrote a lawsuit challenging that state law under the First Amendment to the Constitution and filed it into federal court, and she killed that law before the ink was dry. In a uh, got a summary judgment against the the uh, attorney general of the state that was brutal. The court said this is shocking that the state takes this stance that it can simply challenge anybody's speech because they find it objectionable, and they really. They put the attorney general back on her uh, back on her heels. Just they did not appeal. They didn't contest it. Didn't ask for reconsideration. It was the end of the deal because the state attorney general got thumped by uh, U.S. District Judge John Kunauer. At that point in time, there's a chance he was chief judge. Uh, they rotate the duties of chief judge, and I know he has in the past been the chief judge but I don't know if in 2003 he was in fact chief judge. So there, there's an example of offense to the extremes. A state law before the ink is dry, a lawsuit filed under the First Amendment, dead statute. That's the single most aggressive and impressive display of civil litigation that I've seen in my experience. Uh, with this president and uh, the certain garbage that the left is throwing at states and their people, you have some examples in the last few years of uh, state laws getting creamed and uh, the federal government being constrained in certain ways because everybody's out of control. But uh, for my money, that particular instance is so clean because that lawsuit was filed like within a day or two of that state law uh, being enacted. Now, uh, I personally, uh, there, the difference between criminal and civil uh, at the very foundation of choosing which to initiate is vitally important, especially for somebody that's learning. If you're not real well-versed in civil litigation it can really confound you the rules can be very confusing and they take a long time to really get a handle on and I don't for one minute claim to have a good handle on the civil rules because what distracted me early on was criminal pleading it's where it's at I love criminal complaints and when you think about it, civil litigation, oh, this is going to take a while. 
because they filed a civil suit against me or I filed a civil suit against them and so I have to know how to construct a civil complaint I have to know how to articulate a cause of action I have to know what to ask for I have to know what I could possibly be denied in my relief or what I really should be entitled to in my relief and then I have to know how to serve them I have to know how long they have to reply I have to know how to answer the government's motion to dismiss for failure to state a claim because they'll always file one so there's a lot to know in civil litigation and that's just to get started then comes all the deadlines uh, let's say the court says we're going to allow this lawsuit to move forward okay the court will issue a schedule by a certain date you have to have all your discovery done by a certain date you have to have all your motions to compel done your motions in limine that means motion to suppress evidence you have to have um, a joint status report filed with the court by a certain date uh, you have to know how to write interrogatories how to write requests for admissions you have to know what you're entitled to discover through those tools do you have to ask the court for permission to serve a subpoena um, who do you want to interview at the deposition uh, you got to arrange to have a camera or a court reporter at the deposition to take a transcript uh, so there's there's going to be costs associated with it uh, you have to know that you can't serve discovery on the other party until you've had your rule 26 F uh, early resolution conference you have to meet with the opposing party and discuss is there a way we can close this case without bothering the court let's discuss early resolution the court wants the parties to get together face to face to decide if they really need to bother the court or can they settle it on their own so the court rules require you get together with the opposing party and if things don't go your way if you really want a lot more than they're willing to come across with then you uh, serve your discovery right after that early resolution conference and now it's game on so there's tons of things to know in a civil case in a criminal complaint not a criminal case I can't start a case criminal uh, cases are started by the party that has an interest in the case and that is the state the city the county or the fed those people are allowed to start a criminal case against somebody but that doesn't mean I can't complain to my servants that somebody has broken the law and that's what I mean by criminal complaining if somebody has broken the law especially a public servant it is so handy to know how to write and file a citizen's criminal complaint I have a course about it on wevgov.com uh, guest 3 will give you that website wevgov.com and a course on writing and filing citizens criminal complaints today's call is more about taking it a step further and that is uh, how to truly be a royal pain in the butt using criminal complaints uh, the drive-by litigation course takes it uh, a, a world further 
than just knowing how to write and file one complaint. Uh, the freebie today, uh, guest three, there's a couple of latecomers. Why don't you give them the address of the freebie? The freebie is a criminal complaint from 2004, uh, maybe 2003, 2004, yeah, 2004, Shasta County Superior Court. This was a case brought by the county in the name of the state of California for um, violations of state code and county uh, county ordinance about how you're allowed to use your land. The guy had 42 acres and out in the middle of his acreage he put a uh, mobile home and built his own awning and drain field and septic tank and he did all this without a permit. And so the county that had to trespass on his land to inspect this brought 10 counts against him and 10 counts against his wife under state law and under the county zoning laws. And they were false charges because as the code was written it didn't apply to his conduct. And so I wrote this criminal complaint for him. He had listened to a couple of my conference calls and then he tells me, he goes, you know, you're talking a different game than the other people I've listened to. I've listened to this guy, I've listened to that guy, and they sound like they're guessing compared to you. Can I talk to you in private? I said, yeah, and I, I got together with him and I told him how to, uh, how to uh, get a hold of me. And we talked and he said, uh, well, I got this particular case. Why don't you tell me what you think? And I got back to him. I said, it's a target-rich environment. They're screwing you this way, that way, this way, that way. Here's how I would attack it. He says, let's go for it. And so the first thing he did when I took over the case was to file, I was practicing law without a license uh, for somebody who couldn't afford an attorney. And this is an example of how when, when somebody needs me to step in and take their case and they're not guilty, I'll kick it over the moon. And this was the first thing he filed. It's a criminal complaint against, who do we have here? first page of the criminal complaint in this format is out of Washington State Court Rules. So uh, it's Gerald Benito, I think he was the head prosecutor, Martha Gandy, who is the junior prosecutor, and Douglas Gardner, who was the state uh, inspector, or the county inspector that brought the uh, complaints to the count, the uh, violations to the county's attention. And here's a criminal complaint for violation of uh, California Penal Code, Section 158, committing common baritry. If they bring more than one false charge against somebody, bingo. And that's what they did. So here's a criminal complaint he wrote. And all told, going on the offense like this, and it's just count one against the three of them for common baritry, a misdemeanor, I think in California, misdemeanors like 90 days in jail maximum. And he asks the court, because he filed this into his case, he asks the court uh, to follow this through and see that charges are filed against him. That's funny.
first thing we did. Because they had broken the law, I tried to level the playing field. You can bring charges? Well, I could put things in motion too. Now the difference between civil and criminal. Civil, I outlined for you, I'm, I'm locked up in all these different things I gotta know. And I gotta go back and forth with them when they file a motion or when I file a motion and then we gotta appear in court and argue our motion where we're both dragging each other into the latrine and throwing a bunch of crap at each other and it's, it's so laborious. When you file a criminal complaint, you file it and you walk away. Your job is done. If they follow through and bring charges, they might interview you, they might depose you, they might call you as a witness, but your job is over. You walk away because it's the state that has a case, not you. And that's the beauty of criminal complaining. You can get a lot done with criminal complaints, but you file it and you walk away. You just walk away because it's up to the state to bring the charges. But what you've just done is you put a question mark in the defendant's future. The people you name as a defendant. Now they have to wonder, is, the pro uh, is some prosecutor going to bring charges against me? Am I going to lose my job? And let me tell you something about one of these defendants. Uh, once again, for the people that are just on the phone, uh, this document is at um, http full colon double slash take from Caesar http full colon double slash take from Caesar c a e s a r dot u s slash files f i l e s slash one zero c c c dot pdf all lowercase takefromcaesar.us slash files f-i-l-e-s slash one zero c-c-c dot pdf c-c-c stands for citizens criminal complaint and uh, I'm, I'm looking right at the complaint you have Martha Gandy the junior prosecutor who is handling this case against him this false prosecution malicious prosecution this was at the beginning of summer. Uh, let's see, when was this case filed? Uh, the, the criminal complaint is dated the second day of August. <coughs> and I think it was September 2004. It might have been early summer uh, the next year, 2005, but this, uh, this litigant was in the county park there in Redding, California for concerts in the park. I think it was like every Friday night they'd have a concert in the park and people could go there in the nice weather there all summer and, and drink a beer and, and mill about and socialize. He was in the park, I think this was uh, early summer 2005, because uh, he already knew exactly what Gandhi looked like, and Gandhi already knew exactly what he looked like. And he's standing in the park and uh, listening to the band, and right past him, right in front of him, war uh, walks Martha Gandhi. 
right in front of him. And he said she was carrying a beer, she was alone, and she looked like a zombie. Her total prestige, her identity, her uh, ego arose from being a junior prosecutor. It was, it was a grand achievement. It was her occupation and uh, it brought her prestige and notoriety in the county, whatever. And she was a newlywed, like 33 years old. And here she was on a Friday night alone drinking a beer and she looked like a zombie. By that point in time, we had destroyed her life. She had been demoted to fish and game because of these false charges she brought in this case. And uh, they demoted her to fish and game. And when she came to the hearing on appeal, her copy of the appellate brief that was filed against her was all curled up and sun-bleached. And this defendant and I uh, reasoned that that was because when she wasn't outside of the truck writing tickets to fishermen that didn't have a license, she was in the truck uh, reading that brief trying to figure out how to keep the county from being sued for malicious prosecution. And so when she was outside the truck writing tickets, that brief was on the dashboard of the fish and game truck. And then when she was done writing licenses, she'd have to get back in the truck and read that brief. The edges were all curled over. It wouldn't, wouldn't lay down flat. And uh, this defendant had gone totally on the offense. This was just the first criminal complaint. There were several filed over this case. And in the drive-by litigation seminar on wevgov.com, you've got the entire case. Something like, I don't know, 40 or 50 documents. Give me a second here. Um, I'm on that page of the course. 56 documents. And the last document in the case is uh, a cover letter to the Department of Justice saying the, the county's engaged in racketeering through false charges. And this was the document that inspired me. I looked at that document. I said, this document is straight from hell. I've never seen such an aggressive stack of paperwork in all my life and I got jealous because my student's name was on it and so I said I gotta have one of these and I put together the complaint that went to Congress New Year's of 06 to 80 members of Congress against the IRS so the the um, drive-by litigation course we have this first complaint from August of 04 and through spring of 05 he was assailing these people with criminal complaints, motions to dismiss, and finally uh, uh, he took a public defender just as a, as a ploy. I said, why don't you do this? Let's try this. Take a public defender um, and use the public defender for negotiation because the public defender has to make the obligatory call to the prosecutor and mention plea agreement and see what they say. And so he took a public defender, the public defender called the prosecutor and said, plea agreement, and the prosecutor, Gandhi, said, okay, we'll drop nine, all the charges against his wife and nine of the ten charges against him 
uh, except for um, uh, public nuisance. We were prepared to file a motion to vacate three of the charges. And she immediately reduced it down to only one charge. The easiest one to prove he wasn't guilty of. Public nuisance. He's out in the middle of his 42 acres with his mobile home. How is that public nuisance? So he, he uh, pled guilty to take it up on appeal. <clears throat> and uh, I said, okay, here's what you do with that motion to vacate that I just wrote for you. Uh, fold it in three and place it under a real heavy object all night long. And he put it underneath a 400-pound planter in front of the courthouse. And he went to his, uh, he asked the judge, uh, yeah, I want to plead guilty, but I need, uh, I want to get my affairs in order. i got a couple things i got to do, and so I need some time. And the judge says, is 90 days enough? He goes, yes, sir. So in those 90 days, we had uh, time to prepare the motion to vacate and the appeal. So it comes time to go in there for the guilty plea, and uh, he's given a year's deferred sentence or something like that in a small court fine, and he beats the prosecutor outside the building. He's outside before she is. And he tips up that planter and takes out that pleading from underneath the planter, and the reason you do this is uh, it was the motion to vacate, so that when you get to court on that motion, you've got a nice flat copy, the judge has a nice flat copy, and the prosecutor's over there wrestling with a picnic table because you press this pleading down into a into threefold like a rock. <laughs> and it makes them look bad in court. That's the only reason to do it. So she comes out of the courthouse after her victory, and he served, has her served right there with a motion to vacate. She opens up the envelope, takes out the motion, looks at it, and walks away swearing like a trucker. <laughs> and so, all told, after this case, with the criminal complaints against the prosecution and the county, state and federal, uh, state and federal criminal complaints, racketeering and extortion complaint, intimidation of voters, went to the Department of Justice, and got the bean counters for the county, uh, fighting with the prosecution because uh, he was threatening the county with a great big civil suit for a few million dollars because they just wouldn't back off of these false charges. And all told, at the end of this case, the judge, Judge Meacham, I think was his name, retired 10 years early. Two prosecutors were fired and two members of the County Board of Supervisors resigned, one of whom this defendant would have been running against at the, at the next election cycle had they not resigned. He was going to Chamber of Commerce meetings with business cards saying, I'm running for this particular seat on the County Council because of the misconduct of the prosecutor's office and the court, and uh, we're going to clean up this county. And that's when that member of the Board of Supervisors resigned. So uh, I looked at the end of this case and everything we had done in that case, and I said, this is, this is nasty. This is great stuff. Uh, i gotta, I got to capsulate this. And so I wrote the 
drive-by litigation course on the products page on wevgov.com and this entire course from Shasta County is there but it took place over eight months of litigation. I capsulated it into a four-phase process that uh, somebody who can type can actually probably accomplish in about three weeks where you do phase one your and all these documents are in Microsoft Word uh, the criminal complaints, claims for damages that you file with the city or county council saying you're going to sue the city or the county, the state and federal complaints and the affidavits, they're all in Microsoft Word. And I, I write very well. So you have great examples of pleadings that if you were to use these on your own without me having advised you this is what you should do because I'm not an attorney, but these are all in Microsoft Word and so they already look great the formatting is impeccable and state and federal criminal complaints affidavits and claims for damages the first phase get all your evidence in one place and put it under one affidavit that explains everything so no matter where you go or what you're complaining about you got all your evidence under one affidavit in one place then on top of that you put your state criminal complaint phase two what crimes does it constitute all the evidence in that affidavit in the exhibits and then you take all of that and on top of that you put your federal criminal complaint what federal crimes does this conduct constitute uh, conspiracy against rights you go to the uh, the uh, federal criminal statutes page of wevgov.com and look down through those statutes those are the ones that I typically find uh, cities and counties violating they use the mail to falsely prosecute that's mail fraud 18 USC 1341 20 years in prison max that's a felony go to wevgov.com and look at the citizens arrest page you can arrest a felon wouldn't you like the authority to arrest these people? So on your affidavit and evidence, you put your state criminal complaint and file it, and then you take your federal, uh, your federal criminal complaint, uh, put it on top of that, and file it with the DOJ or the FBI, whoever you're complaining to, probably the FBI. And then you take your remaining copies and you put your claim for damages on top of it and serve it on the county or the city, and now you're totally ballistic with a two or three week process you can organize against these people for misenforcing the law. I don't protect guilty people. I've only worked for innocent people outside of a couple different instances. It's all been innocent people. And when they're falsely prosecuting you, how is that not a federal felony of conspiracy against your rights? If it's a felony, file criminal complaints against them. You might get them fired. You might get them demoted. In the rare instance, you might get them prosecuted, but I doubt it. But at least you're putting a question mark in their future like they do with you. Why wouldn't you want to do that? And so in a four-phase process, I got all this on file and all the evidence in one place that proves to the state you have a case here against this person they're a criminal 
and it proves to the FBI, hey, uh, you got a case against these people. They're criminals under federal law. It's felony. I can arrest them. And phase four, I serve the county or the city with a criminal or with a claim for damages saying, I intend to sue you. You don't even have to notify them if you're going to sue them in federal court. And then you take all of that and you shop attorneys. And if you have a good enough pile of criminal complaints and evidence there, and you've done everything correctly, you might get an attorney to say, uh, yeah, tentatively, uh, we can sign a contract for representation, but it's only going to cover negotiation. Fine, thanks, great. Get your ass on the phone to the county. And that attorney will have all this evidence there and the criminal complaints and ask the county, uh, the treasure, the um, risk management department, listen, uh, I'm in possession of uh, all this filed by so-and-so over here that was falsely prosecuted. Uh, do I have to sue you or can we settle this thing? So phase one, two, three, and four are designed to prepare a municipality to be sued but to prepare in a totally offensive aggressive and retaliatory manner that's funny to me <coughs> and uh, it's uh, it's it's checkmate it's ultra aggressive to go one two three four it's a it could be a lot of work depending on your case but you want to get all the documents together first, affidavit with all the facts in it, and then state criminal complaint, federal criminal complaint, claim for damages, and then you shop attorneys. And sometimes you don't have to sue to get a settlement. <coughs> so I believe in offense. And you can't go on the offense unless you're a code pleader, which leaves out the entire anti-tax movement uh, patriot movement, whatever you want to call it. They don't move, they don't win, and uh, only once in a while do you find somebody really making progress. And I don't think an acquittal in a tax evasion case is a win because your future was still in the hands of a trial jury, a bunch of people you don't even know, and uh, you still had to hire an attorney or you had to deal with a totally ineffective uh, public defender. That's not a victory. A victory is preventing the prosecution in the first place. You listen to the shows here in the archive on 59615. Listen to the shows in the archive on 87488, American Liberties, with Chris Chapman. And you'll hear that's really where I focus my attention most of the time. But I wanted to come on the air today and tell you about the drive-by litigation course available on wevgov.com and uh, tell you that it is just nasty. It's as nasty as I can be within the system with the tools that are available, and it's all code pleading, just the way the government does it against you, and uh, uh, it really is a fast track to letting them know that uh, they really got the wrong litigant here. My name is David Merlin. Thanks for tuning in to No Confidence. Uh, I appreciate you taking time out of your Saturday to join me, and I'll see you on the next episode. But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did have sexual relations with a horse.
I say good show. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.